Welcome back to the energetics of everything, your favorite place to learn about all things, wealth, health, and personal development from an energetic perspective. If you are someone who is in pursuit of both being the best version of yourself and creating a wildly impactful life, then this is the place for you. Throughout this podcast, you will learn how to use my hindsight as your foresight as you identify your purpose, optimize your behavior patterns, and create a ripple effect of positive change that your soul knows you're capable of. My name is Eden Carpenter, and I am so excited to be a part of your personal growth today. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Energetics of Everything. I am here with Emmy today, and Emmy is a 2-4 splenic projector, and we're going to discuss ADHD, neurodivergency, and human design. Emmy, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. It's delightful to sit with you today. And just for introduction purposes to our audience, can you share a little bit about who you are, what kind of work you do, and whatever you think is relevant for the people listening? Of course. So hello, everyone. My name is Emmy. I'm a human design projector, and I am a human biologist, an ex-teacher, And over the last couple of years, I've moved into more spiritual processes. So I am a Reiki practitioner. I am a law of assumption manifestation coach, a psychic medium and astrologer. So I do a lot of things and I find that I am now managing that with an ADHD and an autism diagnosis as well. Wow. There's so many fun, cool things that you do. And I love that as a projector, you're able to work with multiple systems. I know that that's a misconception that projectors are here to learn one system and master one thing and that projectors have a specific niche. And projectors are, in my opinion, the most diverse aura type because you can have an emotional projector, you can have a mental projector, you can have an ego projector. There's so much variety Mm. that even within that aura type, I mean, I've seen projectors with seven centers defined. I've worked with one projector who had everything defined except for her sacral center. And then there's also projectors who have like two centers defined. So there's just such a variety that, especially when it comes to advice for projectors, a lot of that can be so generalized. Yeah, I love that you are working with multiple systems and you're using yourself as that niche and you're not saying this is the one thing that I have to do and you're giving yourself the freedom to follow that splenic center and see where life leads you in a way that actually supports your design. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So can you just share with us, what's your perspective on ADHD neurodivergency as somebody who is in this human biology and spirituality world? I feel like you have a really great grasp of both. How do you understand neurodivergency? So for me, being late diagnosed, I got my diagnosis last year at the age of 31. And I went through my entire life really struggling with why I felt different. But I also now know that having that extra layer of being a projector on top of that, that really fed into the rejection. Um, And we can talk a little bit more about that later. But I feel like having the human biology background and the spiritual background, I can see it from all sides. So I am trying to merge both of these things together. And I've also forgot the start of your question, which is very on brand for an ADHD. <laughs> Me too. I forget questions all the time. I was literally on an interview like last week and I was like, uh, I've been talking for a minute, but I forgot your question. <laughs> so, no worries. What's your perspective on human design, ADHD, neurodivergency? I'm just curious about how you understand this topic. So I have been looking into uh, ADHD within human design and I'm struggling to find a kind of common denominator because what I find there's a lot of stuff on generators and manifesting generators in terms of their ADHD because of the way that their types can interact with the world. And I found that there's very little on projectors. So I've been trying to find this information and I'm not coming across a lot, which is why I'm really grateful to be here today. I've had clients ask me to look for it in their astrological charts as well. But again, until I've got a full data set, I'm not comfortable pinpointing it on a certain thing. But I do feel like there's a genetic part to it. There is a trauma part to it. If you're familiar with Dr. Gaber Matei, his approach to ADHD is that it's a trauma response. 
So I'm of the opinion that it can be both genetic, it can be epigenetic where it is switched on. And we will see this through the chart as well in terms of astrology and human design. But I'm just not sure where that slots together yet. But I'm sure as we start to explore this and more people get involved, we'll find more of it. But it can be hard to balance your spiritual side, your human design experiment and the, the 3D reality that you're living in. So yeah. if you're struggling with that at home, whoever's listening, you're not the only one. I think that's important mm -hmm. to share. Yeah, I think it's so important to share. And I've been looking at it from a similar perspective of really just coming at it with the lens of curiosity. I'm just curious to see if we can find patterns and correlations. I'm seeing it more as a dysregulation and like where you are in your alignment rather than mm -hmm. if you have a gate five defined, you're going to have ADHD or anything yeah. like that because it's just showing up in our dysregulation. What I understand about ADHD specifically is if you boil it down, it's a dysregulation in dopamine. And yeah. so there's regular activities that you're just not getting enough dopamine when neurotypical people would be receiving dopamine. And then mm. we get into hyperfixations where there's a lot of dopamine present for something, but it's unregulated. It's like a really high amount when you're like, okay, where did this come from? And it's not consistent. Thinking about it like that, dopamine for me is very much sacral energy. When somebody has a defined sacral, they are only going to get that dopamine from things that they're genuinely lit up by. I've seen a lot of generators and manifesting generators have that like hyper fixation where they can spend all of their energy on drawing. They can spend all their energy on gaming. They have the energy for that, but they struggle with forcing themselves to do the things that they think they should do and it's more for the generators and many gens it's that they're putting that sacral energy towards things that they think they should be doing when really following the dopamine is actually following your sacral energy and that's aligned mm -hmm. for those aura types we think about projectors and manifestors and reflectors with the undefined sacral center that energy is inconsistent it's very dysregulated just because you source it from your environment. And so you might be around somebody and there's a lot of dopamine, there's a lot of sacral energy in that picture and you're amplifying that. But then in other situations, you could do the exact same task. You could be in the same position, but if you're surrounded by people who are not satisfied, you're going to amplify their satisfaction as well. I'm seeing it as often projectors and manifestors and reflectors might be managing that undefined sacral energy of people that aren't even theirs. And then they're trying to regulate themselves when really they want to regulate themselves in the environment. They're trying to regulate the environment so they can regulate themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I have a, an undefined sacral and I'm also a 2-4 profile. So the hermit, the need to hermit is strong. Yes. And I've noticed that I really need to pull back after any social event because I'm so drained and I'm still riding the wave of, because there's so many manifesting generators around me that I'm like, okay, I really need to leave now. Otherwise I'm not going to be able to sleep for like three days. Mm -hmm. So I need to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm curious with your autism and ADHD diagnosis, what are the main symptoms that you've experienced? And I'm wondering if we can maybe pinpoint for you where those might be showing up in your design. Yeah, certainly. So in terms of the ADHD, it is definitely the the hyperactivity within the mind. So I can have several trains of thoughts going at one time, usually a song on repeat, and that also affects the ability to do tasks. I'm able to start a task, but finishing them is a total different story. In terms of the autism, that's more sensory for me. And it also affects the way that I socialize. So eye contact is really tough for me. I can't hold it for any length of time. I tend to self-censor in what I'm saying, which is masking behavior. Women and AFAB people tend to mask very, very heavily so that we can fit into social situations and not have that rejection. And again, that feeds back into being a projector as well. There's a lot of rejection there that you have to get used to and when you're finding your way to the correct invitation. And then if you're both autistic and ADHD, it's like two wolves inside of you fighting for the spot. And one day I can be more autistic and the other day I can be more ADHD. And I feel like they kind of swing back and forth. And again, that comes down to like my dopamine levels, how well I've slept, who I've been around, the environment that I'm in. There's so many different things. And then if we look into the astrology and of what's going on and the human design gates and things as well, it's just like, okay, there's so much here. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's a lot there. So the multiple trains of thought, you have an undefined head and Ajna center, and you have two gates defined in each. So there's activity, but you also amplify the ideas of other people. How that can show up in your human design is the questions that you're asking. Are they your questions or are you just picking up on the inspiration of the world? With the Ajna Center, you're not designed to be 100% certain in something. And so, like you said, you can see a situation from a million different perspectives and that's aligned for you to be able to see it from multiple perspectives. But sometimes that means that there's multiple trains of thought happening at the same time. I almost see it as like you have the psychic ability to see how other people would think about the present situation. And that's a beautiful thing. One of the things that I've noticed is masking and the undefined g-center because with the undefined g-center we have this inconsistent sense of self and so our identity changes in different situations and a lot of times that can show up as being a social chameleon i mean i was the nursing school kid i was the gym kid i had all of these different identities and the thought of all of those different identities coming together or like friends from school meeting friends from the gym or friends from church that felt so overwhelming and chaotic. I never wanted to throw a birthday party because having all of the different people see me in my different roles felt confusing and felt like it was too much. It's like, I don't know who to be in with all of these people at once. And so that can show up with the Undefined G-Center where we're like, who am I? I'm masking who I am. I'm hiding who I am. But sometimes with that center, it's really that we have this inconsistent sense of self. And so different situations allow us and they give us the permission to explore different versions of ourselves. And so we get to show up in different situations. And I feel like every situation I'm in, I'm being called to be a new kind of person. And so I get to say, okay, do I like who I get to be in this situation? And if not, maybe this isn't the correct situation for me. And it's not that I'm masking or doing something wrong. It's that my energy is naturally going to react a specific way. If other people have very strong identities, I'm going to amplify that. I'm going to mirror that. And it's not that I'm not being authentic. It's actually that I am being authentic and I'm allowing myself to be inconsistent in some specific ways. So those are just a couple of the things. And then I feel like the finishing things as a manifesting generator with all four motor centers defined, I still don't finish all of the tasks that I'm supposed to. (laughs) I have so many projects that have been started that have never been finished. And for me, I found that the things that I do find myself working on I'll come back to several months later. I'm working on a project now and I was like, okay, I feel like I wrote some of the copy for the landing page for this somewhere and I pulled it up and I have, I have the whole landing page done. I don't remember writing it. I couldn't tell you when I did that. But at some point I had the hyper fixation of, ooh, I'm just gonna work on this. And I'm pretty sure it's when I was supposed to be doing something else. So there's this task avoidance or this procrastination. that can happen with that sacral energy yes what thoughts are coming through as i'm just ranting about all of this for you i'm just laughing in agreement because the whole circling background thing is so true i've got projects and hobbies that i've started and then i'm like you know in toy story i don't want to play with you anymore just leaving things to the side but i've learned not to shame myself when that happens when the dopamine runs out and i'm moving on to the next thing that i can always come back to it And some people will get it, some people won't, but I know that I can come back and it's not a waste of time. It's not a waste of money if I can return to it and it's something that I really enjoy. And it's also okay if it's something that I don't come back to. So releasing that shame. Also doing something else when you're supposed to be doing something is hilarious. I always do that. And I find myself when I have to be on tasks for something, I'll be having inspiration for something else. And I'm like, and that can be frustrating. So trying to balance the inspiration with getting the things done that need to be done and again that kind of comes back to like 3d kind of stuff like having your time and your calendar blocked out having your to-do list and a good cup of tea next year ready to go and again just kindness and compassion for yourself as you move through this process Mm -hmm. have you played with different environments for productivity how has that shown up for you So I'm a caves environment and I have a therapy room that I work in. It's called Haunt and we're based in Glasgow and it is a gorgeous dark room. 
And I find that doing Reiki and readings in there is so powerful. And I feel very safe there with my caves environment because I'm meant to be in a room where it has one entry, one exit. I can have my back against the wall and I feel my safest. And it's kind of like this room space where I can really think. And I find that's where my good ideas come from. When I need to get out of the house and I need a body double, which is quite common in people with ADHD, we need other people to be around us to help us stay on task. I will go to a, a coffee shop and stick my headphones on and do some work there on my laptop. I'm not sure if that would come as markets environment or kitchens. Not too sure which one it would be, but there's lots of energy yeah. there. When I go to a coffee shop, I'm removing myself from the distractions of my house is the mm -hmm. main thing. But when we're in the energy of other people, we're like exchanging energy. And so if you're out in a coffee shop, whoever's sitting closest to you might have a defined sacral center. And so all of a sudden you're like, okay, sacral energy. Somebody in the coffee shop probably has a defined ego center. So you're like, okay, I've got the willpower to get this done. You've changed your environment. And so there is that I'm not leaving until I've reached a certain point of completion in my work. And there's things that we can play with there. With the undefined throat center as well, the being in a coffee shop might amplify your voice and it might make you all of a sudden, you have different words, you have ideas, there's different stories coming through and you're able to pull on the voice of the collective. That's a huge thing for body doubling is a lot of times we're sourcing energy from our undefined centers or if you have splits in your definition, because I'm a triple split, I love to be like in a gym, working out somewhere around other people, but in my own space. And so it's like I have the environment of other people and I can kind of borrow their energy, but I'm in my own world. And that allows my emotions to connect to my splenic center and my sacral center. And it's like everything is on the same page. And then I'm much more productive. But yeah, that's a fun thing to just play with environment. I'd love to play with or just discuss, we've talked about pathological demand avoidance where we're supposed to be doing something and then something else just sounds so much more fun. And then you'd mentioned something else that I wanted to talk about. And I cannot remember what it was. Very ADHD of us. So let's start with the pathological demand avoidance and then we'll figure out whatever the other one was. We'll circle back. It always happens. I'm not sure if that's a term that I've ever used on this podcast before. So would you like to explain what even is pathological demand avoidance? Yeah. So commonly shortened down to PDA. And we see this where, especially in young children with autism and ADHD, and it's where the brain perceives something as a demand that may not necessarily be a demand. So, for example, if someone tells me you need to watch this TV show, that to me is a demand. And then my brain is like, no, we're not doing that. And it goes on some invisible list where I appease the person by saying, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And then I'm like, nah, <laughs> that's not getting on the list. That's not getting watched just because my brain perceives it as a demand. It can bleed into every facet of life, which can make things really, really difficult as a neurodiverse person. And a lot of neurotypical people find us very difficult because they think we're saying no to be obstructive or rude when in fact our brain is perceiving a demand that we just can't meet. And then this causes a lot of dysregulation in the body as well and more procrastination, more of an adrenaline spike, cortisol spike. So it can really affect us on a body way. It can affect us in the mind and PDA can be expressed in multiple different ways. So it's really hard for neurodiverse people to identify that's what it is as well, as well as explaining that to a neurotypical person. Yeah. And it's a really interesting behavior pattern because, I mean, I run my own company and so I set my own hours. I set all of my own schedules. There's nobody doing this to me. And even still, I will be like launching one program and be like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to be doing stuff for this. But what about that thing that I'm not going to touch or talk about for the next six months? Like, I'm so excited about that. I just want to do that. Or I'll have an interview scheduled and be like, oh, could I cancel it? I really don't want to do it today. I'm like, I don't have anything else that I'm doing today. There's no reason for me to not want to do this today. I have the time. I have the space. I said that I would do it. Of course, I can do it and I can show up for it. One of my favorite examples of this was we were about to leave for a trip. We were going to Mexico and family was staying here. So we were all going to go to the next day. It's like 10 p.m. at night. We have an early flight and my husband has not packed yet and he's steam cleaning the closet. 
he is steam cleaning the carpet in the closet. There was a dog that had peed in the closet and so he wanted it to be clean so that it could air out while we were gone. And he had his reasons, but it was 10 p.m. We had people over. He had nothing packed. <laughs> and I was getting so anxious. And me and Jazz were like, oh my gosh, like you have to pack. Like, what are you doing? We kept saying like, you have to pack, you have to pack, you have to pack. And I could just see it in my husband's energy of like, yeah, but I'm not going to yet. <laughs> like, not yet. I will get it done, but you're not going to tell me when I have to do that. And I could see his undivine root center feeling the stress from the environment and his sacral energy was like, no, I don't want to do that yet. Like I'm in control. I'm not letting the stress of the environment impact me. And it was literally like he was like shutting out all of the logic, everything that we were saying because his energy was just like, no, this is important to me. This is what I'm going to do. And that's one of my favorite examples. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, that's one of my favorite examples. <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. stress that you feel when you're in a hyperfixation, when you know you need to be doing something else or someone is trying to peel you away is unmatched. It's like a different level of stress when in my head, I'm like, I need to get this done. I can't change tasks just yet. And you're feeling people watching you and try to pull you out. And you're like, you get more prickly as time goes on. So I'm just imagining him like getting right and about this closet. Like, I'm sure it smelled great afterwards. It's great. <laughs> He is a thorough cleaner. <laughs> but yeah, that was quite the moment to be steam cleaning the carpet. And of course, I understand it made sense for him. It is what it is. We got where we needed to be. Everything was fine. But when I think about pathological demand avoidance, this PDA, I see it showing up for different aura types in different ways. So manifestors have what's called nonverbal creative flow. And so when they are in a surge, when they're in that manifestor surge, they've got all of the energy, they're in their creative flow, being interrupted is like unplugging them from source and throwing them out into the cold. And like all of a sudden you're like in a different world because when you're in that nonverbal creative flow, I get it as a manifesting generator. I forget my husband exists. I forget that I exist. I forget food exists. I forget to drink water. I forget to use the bathroom. I literally don't move. I'm just going, 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 going. And it's like I'm holding on to so many ideas and I can see the vision of what I need to create that if somebody pulls me out of that, it takes so much mental energy to plug back into anything that it's really frustrating and it actually makes me angry. Manifestors and manifesting generators, when they're in that hyperfixation, nonverbal creative flow, being interrupted is a shock to the nervous system and it really pulls them out of their zone. That's something that I will work with because the manifestors, you can't tell them what to do. It's like they have energy in them that's saying like, hey, I have to be expressed this way. I have to move this way. And if you don't let me move, I'm going to move in ways that are going to come out as angry outbursts or frustrated sentences or just like, I'm going to yell at you. It's going to come out in weird ways. For manifestors and manifesting generators, when they're in that nonverbal creative flow, interruptions are really difficult. And I've seen one of my close manifestor friends, a lot of her surges, she gets that energy at weird times like I got a message from her and she was like I was up till 4 a.m in a whole surge thinking about this or like I was up at 2 a.m <laughs> getting all of this done it can feel manic it can feel like you're like okay I'm crazy I'm getting this weird idea I've got all this energy at the middle of the night there's something wrong with me. I feel like that hyperfixation is so powerful for manifestors and manifesting generators when you give it the space to be there. Something else that I've seen is when we do have hyperfixations, when we have one of those days where we do everything, we work out, we walk the dogs, we do the laundry, the dishes are done, the house is clean, and we have this extremely high standard of, okay, I was able to do absolutely everything that one day, that should be my normal that should be the standard of what I have to do every single day. When really people who are on cyclical energy cycles, they had a surge or women in general, we have more energy one week than we do another week. It's just a part of our energy. It's just a part of who we are. And so when we have those like really high energy days, we then compare ourselves to that. And then we're able to get into that shame spiral, which is also really common of 
well, one time I was able to do everything and therefore I should be able to do everything every time forever in the future. <laughs> yep, I don't really have a question there. I was just ranting about all of the things. But yeah, what's coming up for you? No, you're spot on. My business partner and close friend, Claire, is a manifester and she is also diagnosed ADHD just at the very end of last year. And seeing her cycles as a, a manifester, but also with her menstrual cycle and the ups and downs that she goes through, like you said, she can have so much done in one day and then the next day she feels really bad about herself because she can't do the same. And I'm like, this is a cyclical process and the shame and things that come with that, especially with being late diagnosed or undiagnosed, it's like, why can't I just do this? But in reality, we're not actually meant to be doing this all the time. So I really think that human design and understanding neurodiversity helps us release this shame. And we were just talking about yesterday, her rest cycle and that she's just heading into a rest cycle now mm -hmm. and how we can support her with that and her business. So batch content for her might be more helpful, but with someone else so she can inform them what she wants rather than doing it herself. And we were like, yeah, okay, how can we streamline some processes? So mm -hmm. as a projector with my projector hat on, I was like, excellent. Let me see how I can streamline and make things easier for you. And with my own ADHD and menstrual cycle as a projector, I can burn out so badly as well with ADHD. A lot of people might have heard of PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. It's a cyclical mood disorder and it can be extremely disruptive to a person's mental health. And it comes with things like very severe depression to the point of suicidal thoughts. It can come with the manic highs as well. So if you're throwing that into the mix on top of everything else, as well as your ADHD, it can be so difficult and again, just releasing that shame and talking kindly to yourself and also understanding where are you in your human design cycle. So as a projector, I just need to really nap a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing about shame is that it's actually extra motivation. And so a lot of times people with ADHD and neurodivergency, we feel like we are unmotivated. And there's that story of why can't I just make myself do the thing that I know I'm supposed to be doing? It's actually like when we're in that state, I mean, I've seen it, I've experienced it where it's like you're frozen on the couch. You can't move your body. And all you're doing is just spiraling in these thoughts of like, I should be doing this. I could be doing that. I'm so lazy. I haven't done that yet. It's 10 a.m. and I haven't even brushed my teeth yet. Like you're just going through, how am I this bad of a person? How am I so lazy? How come I can't do anything? That moment, if you're looking at it from a nervous system regulation standpoint, it's actually that you've flooded your nervous system with motivation because fear and shame are very, very strong emotions. And so that's where a lot of the dysregulation is happening, where your body's not searching for dopamine or serotonin. It's not looking for the happy, feel-good emotions. It's just flooding your nervous system with the shame emotions. What happens is when our mind says this is important, we label something as important, our unconscious mind thinks life or death. If I don't get that done, I'm going to die. And so you're on the couch and your unconscious mind says, if you don't get up and do the dishes, you're going to die. And that's what it feels like at an unconscious level. You're like, oh my God, I'm about to die because I'm not going to get these dishes done. And so it's flooding you with all this motivation. It's going to give you shame. It's going to give you that memory of, hey, remember that one time when your husband got home and you still hadn't done the dishes and how bad you felt? Here's a memory of that. And so it gives you that memory and it floods your system with energy. And that energy is designed to give you the energy and the motivation to take the action. But I see it as that's dysregulation because you flood your system with a really high energy and then there's a crash afterwards. It's really just dysregulation. And so the shame spiral isn't beneficial, but the medicine for shame is humor. And so if any time when you feel that shame spiral, if you can laugh at yourself, if you can make it not a big deal, if you can make it really funny, you're able to neutralize that shame and then it's not that big of a deal. And so I will laugh about, <laughs> that's really funny, that sometimes I'll be like, okay, the cell on my pinky, this teeny tiny skin cell on my pinky is really terrified that it's going to die if I don't do the dishes. 
And that's kind of funny because my pinky's not gonna be impacted by the dishes at all. Like, okay, you're fine. And I'll like let my pinky know. So it's like letting my body know that it's okay. I'll do some rapid resolution therapy to help regulate that. And then I will also just laugh at the situation in general. Like that's really funny that I have given dishes the power to make me feel like this. Like, wow, if I can give dishes that much power, how much power could I give myself? I think it's kind of hilarious that I feel like I'm about to die because I haven't done the dishes. In retrospect, that's not real. Nothing's going to happen. Worst case scenario, the dishes don't get done and absolutely nothing's going to happen. So kind of taking away the power from it and adding in the humor to the shame can be really, really beneficial for making it not a big deal. And that can take you down. It can downregulate you so that you're again in that space where you don't have to like make yourself do anything. You can just surrender back into your body and eventually your unconscious mind will get up and go do the dishes. Because if you think about it, our mind isn't necessary for things like that. We're making it such a big deal that we think I have to make myself do this when really I've been on the phone with a friend and all of a sudden I'm just like moving and I'm like, wait, when did I clean the house? Or you've been driving and you're just thinking and you're not even conscious and all of a sudden you're pulling into your driveway and you're like, wait, how did I get here? Conscious attention isn't necessary for that. And so when my mind is coming into those situations, when I'm spiraling, I'm like, oh, you're not even needed here. Conscious attention is not necessary for doing the dishes. So what would I like to be thinking about? What would I like to be playing about? What would I like to be tuning into in my head? Videos, podcasts, anything where I can give my mind something to focus on. So it's actually like getting my attention off of the thing that I'm over hyper fixating on. It's like, oh my God, I have to do the dishes. Like, how can I not think about that? Think about literally anything else and then allow my body to take those actions. So yeah, that's my rant on that. <laughs> I totally agree. When I'm doing the dishes, I tend to have music on. I find that that helps me get up off the couch and moving because we have such a struggle with changing tasks. Mm-hmm. You might notice this and people listening when you're in the car and you get home and you sit in your car for a little bit just because you're trying to like psych yourself up to get out of the car and go into the house. And it's very cold in Scotland just now. So we're like, "Mm, I might just stay in the car a little bit longer. Getting the music on or a podcast, something that excites you, like you said, to give your mind to chew on something else instead of the task that you're not finding really exciting or engaging. So I love that as well. I also use the countdown technique to get me off the couch if I'm like doom scrolling or if I just find that I'm in the freeze response and really struggling to get up. I'm going to tell myself that I will get up in five, four, three, two, one, and then I will eject myself from the couch. And that usually works really well. One of the conversations that we had earlier on this podcast was talking about just how if you're in that freeze response, super, super small movements, like, can you just roll your wrists? Like put the phone down and just start rolling your wrists. Maybe stretch your arms a little bit just to get your body moving a little bit in those teeny tiny small movements because like rolling your wrists isn't that big of a deal. You're like, okay, I could do that for a minute. And then maybe you're like, oh, wow, my elbows are a little bit tight. Like, okay, let me stretch that out a little bit. And just the small movements can be really helpful to just stair stepping because sometimes standing up is a lot. I have to use all of my muscles to stand up off the couch. Like, okay, can I put my phone down? Can I take a really deep breath? And can I start rolling my wrists? And sometimes that is enough to just break that pattern and bring your attention somewhere else. And then they also mentioned the psychological sigh, where when you're taking in a really deep audible sigh, that's really great for down-regulating your nervous system. So if you're in that hyper response where there's like so much importance put on getting up and doing the dishes, just take a big sigh and letting all of that flustered energy go and then say, okay, I'm going to take a deep sigh. Maybe I'll roll my wrists. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to stretch really big and then see where my body leads me. That can be really helpful too. I'm a big fan of when I'm in the freeze response using hot water. So like a hot Mm. water bottle. We see a lot of people online using the cold water therapy and they're like, get a cold shower, go for a cold dip. But when you're in the freeze response, that's not necessarily going to help you at that moment in time. So I find if I get a nice hot water bottle, maybe put it around my middle, I can then get up and go and do what I need to do with my headphones on. So having that sensory input can be really helpful as well, because 
if you're doom scrolling as well, we're taking stuff in constantly. So changing it from a different medium to maybe music and heat can be really helpful but it's just finding what works for you we're all very different we've all got very different body graphs and how we experience our neurodiversity on every day can be totally different from the day before so having different tools in your toolbox like you said using your size or using a hot water bottle or the countdown method it's just about finding something that works for you and your life and I find it can be difficult for people to cherry pick what works for mm-hmm. them because we see a lot of information online like you need to be doing this you need to be doing that and I think as well with an open head for me I used to really take that on and be like oh well I have to do this because someone else said rather than just letting that move through and I'll take what I can take from it I used to be very like okay I need to take this and implement it rather mm-hmm. than cherry pick the information that would come through naturally so If you're struggling with that, it's okay. You will find your way. Yeah. Trust your inner authority because I like to believe that my mind is only interested in things that are intended for me. So if I find it interesting or intriguing, it's intended for me. And I just won't be interested in things that aren't intended for me. Like I have no desire to learn how to fish. That doesn't sound like any fun. And so there's no interest in fishing rods or what kind of bait to use or where to find specific kinds of fish. I'm just not even interested in it. And so the questions won't even pop up in my mind. But what I am interested in, that's intended for me. You mentioned something else and I had a fun response to it with shifting transitions. And then you mentioned doom scrolling. One of the things that I want us to notice is a lot of the behavior patterns that we have are regulation tools. We are regulating our nervous system with the things that we have and things like doom scrolling, that's nervous system regulation. What you're doing is you're upregulating by increasing the amount of dopamine that you get because every new video, every new transition, every cut in the video, every new piece of content is a mini dopamine hit. And so when you find yourself doom scrolling, notice that your body is asking to receive more energy. It's saying, I need more dopamine in order to get this task done. In that moment, what you can play with is actual dopamine versus like instant hits because instant hits are fun, but you notice that you can literally doom scroll for hours. You can doom scroll forever and that's dopamine hit, dopamine hit, dopamine hit, dopamine hit. You just kind of feel numb after a while because you're actually flooding your system with all of that dopamine. And it's like an artificial kind of dopamine versus really creating that satisfaction for yourself. This is where when we're really playing with sacral energy, sacral energy comes through working through frustration. So one of the things my husband said is that he likes to play video games, not because he's good at them, but because he sucks. He said, I suck at video games. And every time that I suck, I want to get better. And every time I come up against something that I can't, I look at that final boss that I have to go fight 10 million times. It's so satisfying when I finally overcome it. And so true sacral satisfaction is coming from working through hard things and it's not from doom scrolling and so that's this artificial dopamine that we're getting and so i think about that as well like okay my body if i'm doom scrolling my body's looking for dopamine it says i'm feeling low and there's something that i can do to feel a little bit higher i'm looking for that sensation to actually create that sensation for myself instead of just receiving it artificially I'm going to have to do something that's going to be a little bit frustrating, which is get up, go put on my running shoes, go out into the cold, go do whatever it is, but it will feel so good to have done it. And so if you can think about and just visualize yourself after you get back from the run or after you've done the dishes, visualizing, wow, it would feel so good to have gotten up and gotten the dishes done so quickly. Like what if it wasn't a big deal at all? What if I got them done and then I also grabbed my running shoes and like I kept the momentum going. And so just noticing that the satisfaction that you're probably looking for might actually be on the other side of the thing that's a little bit boring, but actually doing the thing is going to help you regulate your energy instead of doom scrolling first and then eventually moving on to the task. Yeah. 
It was funny when you were talking about your husband playing video games. So I, I also like to do that. And I found that I reward myself first before I do the task. So I might play an hour, hour and a half of a game that I really enjoy and get that satisfaction going. And then I will do my task because I feel like, okay, I've done it in here. I can do it in the virtual world. I can do it in the real world. Let's go. And I have that natural dopamine yeah. and I've also enjoyed myself and I'm ready to, okay, I'll go and do this now. Whereas I think a lot of neurotypical people would be like, why are you playing your game first? That's a reward. And you've just got to find a way that works yeah. for you. And if that works, play your video game and then go and do your task. That's great. Also, what you said about the shoes as well, in terms of tasks, I find that if I keep my shoes on, I will get the other things done. If I take my shoes off, that's it. It's game yep. over. So <laughs> I hate wearing shoes in the house. I usually take them off at the door. But if I have stuff to do, I will keep my shoes on because the sensation of having them on my feet is also very grounding. And I'm like, right, okay, well, I need to do this. I need to walk the dog. I need to take the bins out, so on and so forth. Keep my shoes on. And then that gives me the feedback and also the energy to keep going with what I'm doing until I'm ready to take them off and then rest. So I find yeah. that quite helpful. Yeah. I love wearing shoes if I need to be productive. It's like, I'll try and do something out of the house, whether that's walking the dogs or running errands, and then I keep them on. And if you keep them on, suddenly it's like you're in go mode. <laughs> it just works so much better. Another thing is my husband is good at, and he likes the tasks that have a very clear start and finish. So he actually does all of the dishes and he folds all of the laundry. Those are two things that he very specifically does. And I Roomba clean. I tidy up. I putter around the house. And so I don't have like... I need to clean the living room or any sort of task or to-do list. It's very much, I'm a Roomba. There's this thing in front of me right here, right now. I'm going to clean that. Maybe this needs to be moved into the room. I'll go over there into the room. Oh, all of a sudden I'm making the bed. I've literally made half of my bed today because my cat was sleeping on it and I couldn't <laughs> disturb the cat. So I'll put her back in there at some point and make the other half of the bed. And I know that everything gets done at some point, even if it's not one specific area is completely getting done. And if I spend 20 minutes Roomba cleaning every day, the house is generally pretty tidy. Even though I don't have a set schedule of, I clean bathrooms on this day and I do this on this day. I don't have any calendars like that, but I trust that I'm just gonna putter around and get things done when I need to get them done. And yeah, just giving yourself permission to do the tasks, but in your own way is really helpful as well. I was laughing when you compared yourself to the Roomba there. It's so true. One thing I have noticed, astrologically speaking, when the moon is in Virgo, I do a monthly announcement on my Instagram, like the moon is in Virgo because everybody is like cleaning I don't know what it is. Everyone's like, here we go. We're going to get the housework done. We're going to get our bills done. I want to get my life in order. And every month I post about it, everyone's like, oh my God. Yeah, I was cleaning the bathroom with a toothbrush. Like, <laughs> That's so funny. I wonder if with your design, because you're consciously a reflector, you have this unconscious projector, but the lunar cycles are probably something that are very strong for you. How does that show up for you? They absolutely are. I'm a Virgo rising. So when I feel the Virgo moon coming in, I'm like, oh, here we go. But I really do feel the lunar cycles very strongly, especially a full moon. I am exhausted on a full moon. So I tend to nap a lot. I notice the difference in other people's behavior as well, because we, I think any establishment will tell you, hospitals, nurses, doctors, the police, any emergency department will say that there's more accidents, more incidents on a full moon which I find really interesting and also just like the emotions that can come up. So I do notice that and I try to follow the moon cycle as well. So I do lean into the astrology quite heavily just to help me identify what house is it in, what sign is it in, what's coming up for me? Is there anything that I need to journal about? Is there something that I'm working through somatically? And I do find that really helpful. So I wonder what it's like to be a reflector. I'm not sure living by your lunar cycle in terms of your authority and things like that. But I do definitely find it super helpful as a projector. It also allows me to lean into that rest as well because other people kind of get it. It's like, oh, it's a full moon. I need to lie down. And they're like, oh yeah, that's great. Go and lie down. Yeah. 
I love that we live in a world where that's part of the conversation now. Like you mentioned full moon. I was like, oh yeah, I always have the weirdest dreams when it's a full moon. I'm like half asleep, half awake. There's something in the corner of my room. I'm in another dimension. I'm like meeting people. Yeah, crazy dreams happen <laughs> when the moon is full. It's so interesting to even watch things like the stock market. The stock market very much mirrors the moon and the transits absolutely impact us and people who don't believe in astrology give me pause <laughs> i totally agree and i think it was jp morgan that said millionaires don't have astrologers but billionaires do yeah and i find it super helpful in terms of pattern recognition and looking at certain things when to invest and stuff like that and i also looked at my friend's business to see whether her business was viable i looked at the chart of when she had the idea and I could see that it was a great idea and how this was going to play out. So you can pull a chart for literally anything. And I feel like if you're not using astrology, you're definitely missing out. It doesn't need to be something that rules your life, but it's definitely an energy that you can lean into. And the themes of your perfection years, for example, so that will change on your birthday. So I'm in an eighth house year, moving into a ninth house year. And this year has been so transformative for me. But if I didn't know that, I would be like, oh, what's going on? Whereas yeah. now I'm like, okay, cool. This is great. I understand what's going on. So I highly recommend if you're not super into astrology, just maybe like poking into it if that feels good. Yeah, I'm in a ninth house year. Just stepped into the, the year yes. nine. <laughs> I hope that it is inspiring and you get to travel a little bit as well. That would be cool. Yeah, there's some travel plans. <laughs> We'll see where it leads us. But yeah, I'm definitely feeling the nine vibes for sure. Amazing. One more question for you here. Actually, I have two more questions. We'll start with this mm -hmm. one and then we'll end with the last one. No On a daily basis, are there any things you mentioned, like the hot water bottle is really helpful for you. Um, you've mentioned working with transitions and helping those to move more smoothly, but any tips or tricks that you have on a daily basis, specifically for projectors? Let's go with that. Specifically for projectors, neurodiverse projectors, especially. Yeah. Um, how you're feeling in the morning is really important. So if I'm feeling super drained and I'm looking at my calendar and from a business perspective, you can't be canceling things all the time, but where can I sneak in rest? So if I know I've got clients throughout the day and the therapy room that I work in is so gorgeous that I can have a nap in there and I don't feel guilty about it because I want to provide the, the best service so I can have a nap in between clients and that's where I'll snatch rest and not feel guilty about that. Another thing that I will do is try and plan my diary so that I'm not going to be super stretched and super burnt out because I've done that in the past where I've ran myself ragged because I thought that I could do that having a defined route no <laughs> it doesn't work out well so making sure that your calendar is well planned and if you are someone who's affected by the lunar cycles maybe winding it down a little bit more before filming but because we can really vary day to day in terms of rest and what we need, depending on who we're around as well, like having that alone time to really recharge is great. But it's hard to say when projectors can have so many different designs, like you mentioned earlier, like energy projectors, mental projectors, the ego projectors. So it's very much that insight about what you need and then sticking with those boundaries and standards that you have for yourself as well. And with being a projector, not everyone is going to get that. And hopefully by this time in your experiment with your design, you have found the right community that respects you and will invite you to rest rather than berate you for it. And that comes in with the ADHD as well. People who understand that you need rest or more time or whatever support need that you require and supporting that. And that, again, all comes with time, all comes with regulating your nervous system, getting to know yourself on a really good level and that did take me a couple of years. So if you're not there yet, that's okay. It's definitely that. a process. It's a journey. It's not a destination. And I feel like it changes. I mean, the things that I'm doing currently to regulate my nervous system aren't exactly what I was doing six months ago or even three months ago. Give yourself permission to change as the seasons go along is something small that I would add in there as well. Yeah, that was beautiful. And then my last question, as this conversation 
grows in the collective and as more people are recognizing becoming aware of and accepting the neurodiversity that we genuinely have on this planet what are your hopes and visions and dreams for the future where would you like the world to be that's such a great question with this paradigm shift that we've got coming in for 2027 and we're going to see more of a projector theme coming through, I would love to see an onus put on rest and streamlining things. And I think with Pluto moving into Aquarius, we're going to see a lot more AI stuff, which some people will take or leave, but we can use it to streamline processes. And in that respect, allowing creative people, because so many neurodiverse folk are super creative, allowing people to lean back into that. We saw that creation during the pandemic was very much needed when we realised that we didn't have much else and we wanted to create and do things that we're going to lean back into that. So I would love to see less work for good amounts of money and more creativity, more joy, more ease and flow in that respect as well, not just for neurodiverse people, but for everyone. And I'm hoping with the transits that we've got over the next couple of years, we're going to start to see that and really pull back this hustle and grind culture, because I don't think it's good for generator types either to be in really hard going jobs. You see a lot of generator types will be working like 12 hour shifts and stuff like that. That's not always healthy for them either. So I would really love to see more slowness, more ease. That's the theme for me. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm holding the vision with you of less hustle, more individuality, more creativity and more honest connection as well. And I feel like AI definitely has its place where we can outsource memory pretty much. We can outsource a lot of research skills, we can outsource a lot of information, but intelligence is different than creativity and intellect and precision. Even if we get into like Gene Key 62 has the shadow of intelligence and then the gift of precision, the city of impeccability. And so we can use it and there's so many tools for it. There's so many things that we can automate and we can make our lives a lot easier. And with that space that we create, I would love to see the humans creating more and having more fun and resting more instead of almost competing with the artificial intelligence to be as productive as possible. That's just not necessary in our world anymore. So thank you so much, Emmy, for sharing that perspective with all of us. And where can people find you if they want to hang out with you more? Thank you so much for that. And I am most active on Instagram. So you can find me there at Medusa Writes GLA. And I'm mostly there. I do have a YouTube and a TikTok, but I think Instagram is probably the best place to Perfect. find me. We can add all to the show notes. <laughs> I have a website and that's medusarights.com. And I offer Reiki, distance healing, manifestation coaching, all these types of things. So if you're interested in that, you can come and see me there. But thank you so much for having me on and asking such great questions. It's, as a projector, it feels great to be invited and yeah. share this space with you. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective and your energy and taking the time to have this conversation with me today. It's been absolutely delightful. And then thank you everyone else for listening today. I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.